Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Jeff Wickwire. Dr. Wickwire is the founding and senior pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. For more than 25 years, he's been known for his passionate and practical proclamation of the scriptures. This message is from the eight-part series, Why We Celebrate Christmas. Now here's Pastor Jeff with the message entitled, The Meaning of the Christmas Star. I want to talk to you today about the subject, He Still Sends stars. He still sends stars. How many of you believe that? God will reach you. Now Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And here's what they were saying, where is he? Can everybody say where is he? Believe it or not the world is asking that. Where is he? Where is he? who was born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and this is Micah that he's quoting, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Micah spoke that centuries before the appearance of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Everybody say, He lied. Not everybody says they're looking for Jesus, really is. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young Christ child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Final verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it in Jesus' name today. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he still sends stars. This is the Christmas story, and I love this story of the star. I love the story of the star because it shows how God reaches different people in different ways. I want you to understand that God is ever searching, ever seeking, ever knocking, ever looking for people to come to him. God is on a divine search. I really do believe that one of the best descriptions of the Holy Ghost is he is a divine bloodhound. He's always seeking out people. Every lost person out there has got God after them. They may not know it. It may not look like it. There may not be a lot of signs or evidences of it. But God said in the Word of God in Ecclesiastes, He has put eternity in the heart of every man. Eternity is in the heart of every man. There is a divine hunger that God places in every soul. And believe it or not, folks, 
All those people out there that don't know him, that don't walk with Jesus, that have never embraced him by faith, every one of them are looking for him somehow, in something. There is a divine hunt on the part of God for them, and whether they know it or not, they're looking for him. This is a story of God seeking different people in different ways. Watch this. To Mary, a mighty angel appeared. To Mary, an angel appeared. To Joseph, God spoke in a gentle voice, in a dream. To the shepherds out there in the field, he appeared with a heavenly choir of angels. Because they were raised in Old Testament teaching. They knew all about angels. So God spoke to them in a language they could understand. But to the wise men... This star appeared. Why not angels? Why not some of these other manifestations that God reached people with? Because these wise men understood the stars. So God came to them in the form of a star. What I love about God is wherever you are, whatever you're doing, He knows how to reach you. He knows how to find you. He knows how to get to you. Remember the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell? and like cloven tongues of fire on the heads of every one of the apostles, and they began to speak in another language, but it was not Babel, it was not indecipherable language, it was not the tongues of angels, it was the tongues of men. And it says all of those that were lost, who didn't know Christ, who had never embraced the Messiah, everyone there for that mighty day of Pentecost, for that great feast and that great gathering, it says we all heard them speaking in our own language. God is always reaching people, and He reaches you in your own language. He speaks to you in your own way, in a way that you can understand. He comes to you. These wise men were from the Far East. They were Eastern astrologers. Now, when I say that, they were not involved in the occult. This was not an occult practice. They were astronomers. These were ancient Far Eastern astronomers. And so what did they know? What did they understand? They understood the skies. They understood the stars and the planets. Every night they looked out there. Every night they gazed into the creation of God, but they did not know Christ. So how did God come to them? One night they walk out there, and when they walk out there they look up, and there, hanging in the skies, is a star they've never seen before. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's intriguing. It's entrancing. It's mesmerizing. And they look at it, and they look at it, they check their charts, they look at each other, they consult together, and they say, what is that? We've never seen that. It's not a meteorite, because it's not moving. It's not there and then gone. It's a star hanging in the skies. What was God saying? God was saying, whatever it takes to reach you, I will do it. Whatever it takes to get your attention, I will step into your world and speak to you. I know how to get your ear. I know how to get your attention. I know how to arouse your curiosity. I care enough to condescend to you instead of expecting you to come to me. An unexplainable phenomenon in the sky that was guaranteed to get their attention. They'd never seen this star. It was not in the charts. It was absolutely so unusual, so captivating that they inquired greatly. It says they went out and began to ask people, do you know about that star? What about that star? Do you have any idea? They consulted other scientists, and nobody knew what this star was. But here's what God was doing. Yoo-hoo. Have you ever had a divine yoo-hoo? When God says, here I am, 
I want your attention. I want you. I'm calling you. I want you to come to me. You who? You know, God can speak to you any way that he wants to. Somehow or another, y'all, I don't know how they came to this conclusion, but somehow or another, they decided that that star was connected to an ancient prophecy that had to do with the king of the Jews. It was so compelling to them, they decided that it was worth leaving everything. Now, I want you to understand, these men were established scientists in the Far East. They were way far away from Bethlehem and Jerusalem. But they decided, based on that star, that it was so amazing, so incredible, so meaningful, so mysterious, so worth pursuing, they left everything. They packed up their bags, loaded up some camels, and got on those beasts and began to travel to follow that star. Compelling. You know, when God gets your attention and he puts in your heart the desire to find him, you will do anything to find God. You will do anything. They left everything. And they began to journey towards Jerusalem, following that star, watching that star. And the Bible tells us that finally the star went right over the house where the child Jesus was, and that's how they found him. But now, the shepherds who heard the announcement of the angels found Jesus in the manger the night of his birth. But these wise men didn't. We've got this all wrong. You go out there and you see in front of a lot of houses this time of the year, you know, the shepherd scene and the wise men uh, finding the little baby Jesus in the manger. The wise men did not find the baby Jesus in a manger. He was about two years old when they found him. When it says they found the child Jesus, they didn't find the baby Jesus. They found the Greek word child, which meant at least one to two years old. He was about one to two years old when the wise men had traveled all this time. They traveled all this way. And when they finally got him, he was one to two years old. And I want to look at the journey of these wise men and what they experienced because, listen, their journey to Jesus is a whole lot like ours. First of all, as I've already said, watch this now, God called them, he called them where they were. You know, if I want to call a bird, I don't go out there and say, hey bird, do I? If I want to call a duck, if I'm duck hunting, do I go out there and say, come here, ducks? Do I? What do I do? I grab a duck call, and I talk to them in their what? In their language. And I do not expect them to come to me. I go to them. Please understand, folks, that God came to us. When he's wanting to reach you, he comes to you where you are. I've noticed he speaks in a whole lot of ways where you don't expect him to speak. He comes from a lot of different directions you don't expect him to come from. But God is able to get your attention. He came to them where they were. He knew they were astronomers, so he first approached them in their own language and something they understood. He came into their world. He spoke their language. Let me give you an example. Everybody understands love. And you know what the Bible says about him? God's so loved. You know, love is a universal language. We all understand love. Everybody wants love. Everybody needs love. Watch this now. God's so loved. You can tell a Chinese person that. Japanese. You can tell somebody Indian. You can tell any race, any person from any nation. You can say the word love, and it's universal. Because God spoke to us in a language we can understand. God said, I love you. I love you so much. I gave my only begotten son. 
And though you don't understand a lot of things, I'm coming to you in a language you can understand. I unconditionally love you. When you make a mistake, I love you. When you're not perfect, which is always, I love you. I embrace you no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. I love you. And everybody understands the word love. You know why God is irresistible? He's irresistible because he loves us unconditionally. I can't stay away from that. Say, well, Pastor Jeff, if he's love, why all the war? Why all the raping? Why all the trouble? Why all the murder? Why all the crime? Why all the trouble in this world? Folks, that's easy because of sin. But that is not a reflection of God. When sin entered the world, we fell way, way down. It's like somebody said, you never know how far you fell till you start the climb back up. We fell, tumbled way down into a dark abyss of sin. And so that's why there is murder, pillaging. That's why there is so much trouble in our world. But that does not take away from the love of God. I love that little saying, life is tough, but God is good. Life's not fair, but God is good. His love, His grace shine through every problem we experience, and everybody understands the language of love. You know what I love about Christmas? Love. God so loved the world. You know, John could have left so out. He could have just said, you know, God loved the world, so he gave his only begotten son. But he added that word to add emphasis to how much he really loved us. Say with me, so. You know, you love somebody. If somebody came up to you today and said, hey, you know, I really do love you. That would bless you. But what if they said, you know, I so love you. God is saying his love was so strong, he couldn't help himself. He so loved the world that it made him give. It made him give. I so love that world. I'm going to take my son, send him to that world. God put on flesh. God wrapped himself in skin. And God became one of us. What was the motive? The motive was love. He loves you. When you don't love yourself, he loves you. When nobody else seems to love you, he loves you. Isn't it good to know when everybody else walks out, he walks in? He so loves you that Paul elaborated on it and said, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing can. Not angels, not principalities, not powers, not life, not death, not things present, not things to come. Nothing on earth or beyond the earth, seen or unseen, can keep you from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. His love is absolutely overpowering. It's stronger than the devil. It's stronger than sin. It's stronger than mistakes. It's stronger than failure. His love is so powerful. God loves you. I mean, you can walk out of here knowing if nobody else on earth ever loved you. God loves you. He'd move heaven and earth to step into your world. And that's exactly what he did. He moved heaven. He moved earth. And he stepped into your world. And you know what? He still sends stars. I got to thinking about that. You know, he sent that star, those wise men. They looked up and they said, ah, now there's something I can understand, a star. Very unusual. And it was that star that God used to begin to guide them to himself. 
And I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know, he still does it. It may be a person who does what we do. It may just be a person who does what we do as a career or whatever. Somebody in our field, somebody we identify with, steps into our life. We run across them at work, run across them somewhere in the neighborhood. We meet somebody. We have no idea that it's a divine encounter. As a matter of fact, I ran across this verse recently, and it's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. It says, be careful how you treat strangers. It might be an angel without you knowing it. You know why? Because he still sends stars. He still sends stars to reach you, to speak to you, to talk to you. He still does it. It might even be an angel that God sent. And why would he do that? Because he loves you. Matter of fact, Peter said, God is so liable to send somebody into your life. He is a God of divine encounters. And when we meet the people that he sends into our life, something is unusual about them. I remember this. I can remember before I really gave my life to Jesus, when I ran across a believer, there was a glow about them. There was something about them that I didn't like to acknowledge to myself and admit to myself, but it was true. And it made me want to ask them. Peter said, 1 Peter 3.15, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what? You might have a divine encounter with somebody God sends, but has it occurred to you lately that you are the person he's going to use to bring into somebody's life to give them a divine encounter? And it says that when he does that, you need to be ready to give a reason of the hope, the star, the glow that is in you with meekness and fear because God uses His people to bring them into the lives of others for a divine encounter. A divine encounter. I was talking to a man recently. He told an amazing story to me. He's a photographer, very successful photographer and a writer. And he said that when 911 happened, he went to New York with his camera. He said, I was from New York, and I wanted to go and take pictures of that devastation. I wanted to go see it. I could not believe that it had happened. He said, I grew up in Brooklyn. I wasn't far from where it had taken place. And so I went there, and I saw the devastation, saw what had happened. And he said, I was just moved to tears every single day. He took a couple of thousand pictures. And he said, then I went to that wall where a lot of the families had put photographs of their deceased or missing loved ones. And he said, I decided I would take a picture of just one of them. And so out of all the thousands of pictures, I chose one and took a picture of this man. And his picture beneath said that he was a fireman. He was one of the firemen that went up into one of those towers and was killed by the terrorists. So he said, I just chose him out of a thousand pictures just on that huge wall, took one picture of him. Then when it came time for us to take our plane and come back to Dallas, where he lives... He said, my plane got canceled, and everybody that I was with got to go on the same plane except me. I got moved, and I just looked up and said, oh, great. Now I'm moved. I can't even be with the people I came with, and I got just put on another flight. But listen, folks, when you are his, you don't just get put on another flight because every believer in God's scheme of things, I'm not dehumanizing you. I'm not downgrading you as a person, but we are all chess pieces on God's chess board. He is sovereign over all the nations of the earth. God is sovereign. So he said, I got on this flight, and the only seat they had left, I sat there, and there was a woman next to me, and we began to talk, and I noticed that she was holding a picture. 
And I saw the name under the picture. And I turned to her and I said, where did you get that? Because it was not just a picture, but it was a poem. And she said, oh, this belonged to, and she said the name, and the name was of the man she took the picture of. The poem was written by the fireman. He said, can I read that? He read it, and he began to weep. And he said, it was as if God said to me, I want you to write a play about this fireman to highlight and accentuate and bring home to reality what happened there in New York, 911. He said, I got home, I got on my computer, I did a search on a web page, and he popped right up, and there he was again. He said, here I was, I went to New York, just wanted to take pictures. Then I decided to take a picture of this one man. Then, just by chance, I got put on a plane by accident, by default, and I sat right next to a woman who was holding a poem the same man had written. And I looked up to heaven, and I said, I get the nudge. You know what, folks? God still sends stars. He speaks to you where you are. God moves things around. There are divine encounters that are from the very hand of God. Can you give him praise today? He's a real God. God's stars can appear anywhere. My dad, who was not a believer until the last few years of his life, and I prayed for him for years and years and years. And I thought, you know, he's going to run across Billy Graham someday or something. That's how he's going to come to the Lord. But that's not what happened at all. My dad, after years and years, over 20 years of praying for him, he never gave one hint that he was even headed towards Jesus at all. But God sent a star. You know what it was? He walked out back one day, just walked out into his backyard, looked up, and it was a beautiful day. A few clouds were just floating through the sky. Birds were singing, a couple of squirrels running around in the trees. And he looked, and God spoke to him, just spoke to him, and said, do you really believe, Marty, that this happened by mistake? And I was in the kitchen. My dad came in, and he said, you know what, Jeff? There has to be a God, because that could not have happened by accident. You see, the creation is one of God's stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day, they utter speech. That means day unto day, they talk to people. Night after night, they teach and show forth knowledge. There is no voice nor language where their voice is not heard. God still sends stars. He speaks through all kinds of things. And it was that little statement that was the beginning of my dad coming to Jesus. Somebody say, He still sends stars. What I like about this is the God who calls also draws. If he calls you, he's going to draw you. If he calls you, he's going to draw you. He's going to put in your heart. He will put in your heart a hunger for him. I quoted the verse already from Ecclesiastes. He has put into every heart eternity. Eternity is in every heart. Listen, that person out there doing drugs, that person out there wasting their lives away on substances, 
Those people are looking for God. They just don't know exactly what they're looking for. There is a missing piece of the puzzle, but they don't know how to connect it. People who are searching for Him in philosophy, who are looking for Him in education, looking for Him in all kinds of things, they just don't know what they're really looking for. But I'm going to tell you what you're looking for. There is in every heart a God-shaped hole. You've got to fill it with God. Nothing else will do. Anything else is a sorry counterfeit. And I'm going to tell you how you really do find God. You see, if I'm a lamp standing here, I can stand here as a lamp, have a light bulb in me, but it is no good unless you take the cord and you plug me into power. I'm going to tell you how you plug in to the power of God and really encounter God. At the risk of sounding like I'm being condescending, but I am not, I'm telling you, there is only one way. I will boldly say it. Have you tried it? Don't tell me there's not just one way. If you have not tried it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father. Nobody gets to the Father. And you say, well, Pastor Jeff, you ought not say that. You're a narrow-minded, right-wing extremist bigot. No, I am not, because I didn't say this. If you've got a problem with what I'm saying, you need to have the problem with Jesus. Take it up with Him. He said, no man, no woman, no person, no human gets to me, gets to the Father. You cannot reach the Father but through me. He said that. And the Jews who were listening to Him picked up rocks. They wanted to stone him and kill him for saying that. But he did not apologize and he never retracted because it was true. He was sent by God, his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him, whoever, black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, if you believe on him, you will be saved. Mock it, ridicule it, make fun of it, look down on it. I don't care. I'm saying, take the cord and plug in. And then tell me. If you've never eaten cotton candy, how are you going to tell me whether or not you like it or whether or not it's real or whether or not it tastes good if you've never eaten cotton candy? Well, to me, it doesn't look good. doesn't look very tasty to me. I don't think that I'd care anything about it. I don't think that it's real. Eat some. I had some recently. That stuff is good. Why is it that most of the stuff that's really good is not good for you? Last night I got a bag of popcorn. And you know what I did? I went back and got another one. And it was covered in butter. I said, why does this taste so good if it's not good for me? Because this week my doctor told me, he said, you're going to have to get your cholesterol down. It's too high. Why is it that when that popcorn came along, I forgot all about my cholesterol... Now listen carefully to me. There's a huge movement in our country as we speak to undermine the reality of Jesus, to undermine the reason for the season. Time and Newsweek magazines both dedicated their front covers to undermining the faith that we hold dear. Listen, don't let them tell you cotton candy is not real. You say, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord and mean it. And then tell me whether or not cotton candy's real. Tell me whether or not he doesn't bring peace to your heart. Because listen to me, Muhammad did not come or die for your sins. Neither did Buddha. Neither did any other world religious leader. Jesus stands completely on his own. Don't even put him in that same group because they didn't say the things he did. 
He said, I am God. He said, I'm the only way that you're going to ever plug into the Father. Don't let our culture turn you away from the one who came to wash away your sin. He is totally unique. Totally unique. David the psalmist talked about the hunger God gives, and he said, My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In John 12, 2, it said, Many men came and found Philip, and they said to Philip, We would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. You know what the world's saying? We want to see what you say you saw. We want to see Jesus. We don't want to see huge, expensive cathedrals that are empty of any life. We don't want to see a bunch of religious people strutting around in $1,000 suits and $1,000 dresses and walking around religious and condescending and pointing their judgmental fingers at everybody. We don't want to see that. We want to see Jesus. We want to see the Son of God. We want to see the Savior. We want to see the Messiah. We want to see the one who can really change our lives. We want to see the one the Bible talks about. We want to see the historic Jesus, the real Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again from the dead. We want to see Him. We don't want to see all the religious stuff. We want to see Jesus. We're on a hunt for Jesus. What I like about this, God drew them, and it says they came to Jerusalem, and they said, where is he, where is he, where is he who was born king of the Jews, where is he, where is he? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him, where is he? We've come as far as we can, now here's what I hear in them, they came as far as they could, and the Bible tells us the star disappeared, and here they are in Jerusalem, they've come all this way, and the star disappeared. They followed it all that way, and all of a sudden it was gone. They turned to the chief priests. The people gathered together. Why are you here? Because they knew these were unusual men. These were not normal Jerusalem citizens. And they said, because we've come looking for the one who is to be born king of the Jews. What do you know about him? God led genuinely seeking men to his word. They said, well, here's what the scripture says. It says that he's to be born in Bethlehem small among the clans of Judah, yet Micah the prophet prophesied out of there he would come forth whose goings have been of old even from everlasting. In other words, an eternal person, one who has always been and always will be, is going to be born in Bethlehem. Time and Newsweek have illuminated us that told us it was Nazareth and not Bethlehem. Don't listen to them. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So what did God do? When they lost their way, he put them back on track through the Word. Now folks, listen, the Word will always direct you to him. The Word will not direct you to Muhammad, not to Buddha, not to yourself, not to some self-made God. If you follow the footprints of the Word from Genesis to Revelation, everything leads. They said all roads led to Rome, all Bible verses lead to him. They all lead to him. They all point to him. If you were a tracker, if you were a hunter and a tracker, and you found just one track there in Genesis where God said right there in the beginning of the fall of man, I'm going to bring forth one, he's talking to the devil, who's going to bruise your head. You follow that footprint. Somebody's coming in history, somebody's coming down the road who is going to take this devil who caused the fall of man 
And this person, God just said, he's going to raise him up and he's going to give him a death blow to his head. You take that print and begin to follow. Go all the way, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through, Old Testament, New Testament, all tracks, all of them, all verses point to him. The Old Testament anticipates him and expects him. The New Testament receives him and applauds him. All of it points to him. Amen. It all points to him. Peter wrote about this. He said, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The word pointed to Bethlehem. So they began to go to Bethlehem. And folks, as they followed what the word taught them, the star appeared again. When you do what the word tells you, God's star will always appear. His guidance will always appear. His presence will always appear if you follow him. And they began to follow this star again. And you know what it did? Now we're talking about a supernatural star. This was not just something hanging in the sky. It dropped, and it began to move. It was not a UFO. It dropped, and it began to move. And it went right over the house where the two-year-old Jesus was, and it hovered. And I'll tell you, if you really seek the real God, let me tell you what he will do. He'll send his stars, he'll send his word, he'll send his guidance, he'll draw your heart. But when he finally gets you there, it will always be where Jesus is. And he will not give you any other answer, because all answers are embodied in and wrapped up in him. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So they went in there, and there he was. Now let me tell you something, folks. When God begins something, he finishes it. He still sends stars. Thank God for that. He's going to talk to you in your language. He says, seek, ask, and knock. The Christmas season is all about, and this is why the devil's fighting it so hard. He's the reason and the only reason and the author of the reason for the season. So that's why our culture hates it now, our Christ-rejecting culture, because the whole season... You can't even go into a store now. They've been told, don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holidays. Why not? Because you say the word Christmas. Oh my gosh, don't do that. But that's the whole season. See, we're willing to make money off him, but not acknowledge him. So say with me, he still sends stars. He'll speak to you in your world. And when he calls, he draws. And he will always draw you to him. Let's close, uh, close our eyes and bow for prayer. And I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for our nation that right now is so intent on rejecting Jesus. Heavenly Father, we ask you to forgive us for rejecting the Messiah that you sent to us. We know that in a million different ways, you're speaking to millions and millions of people, sending different kinds of stars into their world to get their attention to bring them where they come to your word, and coming to your word, they ultimately find Jesus. We pray for your hand and your touch upon them. 
there will be a great and a tremendous awakening in the United States of America. Lord, America could turn either way right now. America is like a huge pile of dry wood that could ignite in a blaze of tragedy or ignite in a blaze of revival. We pray, send a great turning to Jesus Christ. Send a great revival where people by the millions turn to him. We thank you for hearing us on that today, Lord. Now, if you're out there today and you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've gotten away from him, or I don't know that I've ever embraced Jesus as my Savior, I want to encourage you to just consider. You don't know if cotton candy is real or good unless you taste it. You don't know, based on what somebody else tells you, whether he's real or he's good. Would you just look up, maybe in your car on the way home, maybe when you get home and you're alone, just look up. Dare to pray, God, if he's real, show me, and he will. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Jeff Wickwire. We trust that it has encouraged, challenged, and taught you truths you can walk out on a daily basis. For more information about Pastor Jeff and Turning Point Church, or to find more great teaching like this, log on to www.tpcfamily.org. Remember that the Word of God abides forever.